Welcome to Professor B's ProfCast. I'm calling this Leading the Way, and this is episode one for Biz 300. In today's episode, I'll be taking on your burning questions from your first gems, light bulbs, and burning questions. I've got them compilated here, and we've got a series of categories to get to. Um, tremendous questions, really excited to address them, and uh, I want to just get get going with it. So our first category um, from students was around the concept of trust. Our first question today is trust takes time and effort and it has to be there for both parties. And, and what point do, um, do we stop trying to trust someone if they're unwilling to do the same? If you keep trying to change their minds, is trusting um, mind, is trusting you, is that a weakness on you or them? Well, I think we have to look at this from a couple of perspectives. One is we first examine to the level of which we are willing to try with somebody who is unwilling. And then we evaluate what options and opportunities we have to either help them or help ourselves build confidence, um, understand their capabilities, identify competencies and see what, what is going on there and also try to gain perspective on why is there an unwillingness for someone to do the same. So um, at one at one point or another, you know, we always have to make a decision. We have to, not always, but we have to make a decision on, are we gonna go or are we gonna grow? Are we gonna stay or are we gonna go? Um, are we gonna continue to let this evolve or is it time to pivot and go in a different direction and rethink things? So we have to examine our options at some point. Um, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if weakness is the right concept to apply here. If uh, you're trying to is trusting a weakness on you or them. Well, as we're learning, we know it's a core component. So I think trying to build trust and building trust is a foundational element that we need to continue to strive for, especially in the world of work and on teams. So I don't know if it's a strength or weakness. I know it's a pillar of what we need to be um, working towards. So I. I I'm not sure if it's a, a weakness thing. I know it's a inhibitor or a constraint that will um, potentially impede our ability to get results. The next question we have here is, since trust is confidence you have in, in someone according to an article, then what if you lose both trust and confidence in someone? So let's start there. Remember, confidence is a part, not the whole of trust. So confidence plus competence plus capability. So let's say the person knows how to do the job, they're competent in the work, um, they're capable of doing the work, meaning that you know it's not like they've got, they're overloaded, they can get the work done, but your confidence is waning. So we know that there's that element that you don't believe that they um, are, are going to be able to get something done. How will you amend such and how will you go about it? Well, we address this is the challenge is my confidence is shaken in you because and then we have to lay out what are those reasons what's our logic and rationale for why isn't our confidence there it could be because of past behavior it could be because of um, other things that have happened to us or um, in other situations and we're we're trying to dial up and we're making making assumptions or or something completely different so as a leader, what you need to do is identify kind of from a self-awareness standpoint, why don't you have confidence? Um, so if you're trying to build trust with somebody and they end up disappointing you all the time, how much more do you give 
in before you cut them off. I think every one of those circumstances is um, is going to be different and it's going to be based on the relationship. It's going to be based on the culture of the organization. It's going to be um, a variety of factors. It seems like um, folks want maybe like a, a formula or a, um, a, a kind of a layout of, okay, do this, then this, do this, then this. And unfortunately, that's just not how people operate. People are very dynamic, very different. Um, and the world is not as binary, meaning yes or no, black or white. Um, there are extremely uh, a, a number of situa situations and scenarios. So rather than saying, do this, do that, what we need to look at is, okay, here are the here's the construct. Then here's how we go about analyzing it, a process to which we're going to evaluate. And it's going to help us make a decision that we think will get us to the, the best results or outcomes for ourselves, for our team, for the other person. So that's the more the framework that we want to operate from. What would be the best way to regain trust in others after a traumatic event? This is tough. This is tough um, because there's a trauma in there. And I don't know if I have a, a, a great answer for that one. I think it's going to take time, which is sometimes the hardest variable because in a work scenario or context or team context, that may not be afforded to us. So there's kind of the optimal state or the ideal state. And then there's kind of the reality of this. Um, I think we go back to where was the tr trust lost? How was it lost? And focus in on those elements um, of, of what it was. And I think it also depends on uh, the trauma and the event. There are some very good reasons that and it is, oh, it is acceptable to say, well, this person is just not trustworthy and I'm going to do something different or I'm going to distance myself from them or, you know, we've got to think about safety reasons, too. So I would put that into the equation or into the process of the framework of how we're, we're going about this. All right. My question revolves around trust. We are bound to not get along with everyone we work with. How can we put those feelings aside and still trust them? So this kind of goes to our emotional intelligence. And one of the constructs in emotional intelligence is uh, social awareness and um, self-management. And I, I really appreciate how you call out in the question, um, we're not gonna get along with everyone at work. And that's true. And then you say, how can we put those feelings aside and still trust them? You actually are answering the your own question in there is, the feelings. So one, we acknowledge the emotion, we call out what it is, and then we we shift the others to the other side of our brain because our brain has this emotional con, uh, side to it. It also has a rational side to it. And we kind of figure out, okay, how can I put this emotion aside? Can I refocus on the task? Are we both committed to the larger results and goals? What are some ways that we can work together and in a way, and I can, um, you know, acknowledge the emotion, say that that's real, and at the same time, focus on the work so that we get that done. Um, this can happen on teams where you've got folks that are high performers, and everybody can play a role on the team, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like each other um, in a way. But if you can refocus on the mission, on the goals, on the results, on the accountability and whatnot, that's probably the best way. Now, long term, I think you've got to think about what's important to you in your work environment. 
and you know is this something that you can tolerate and um, and work through or um, what are some potential other options so keeping that list of of what's important to you why it's important to you and what are your options as a result okay all right so uh, that segment is our segment on trust um, we've got a question here and I'm putting it under the category of communication my burning question this week comes from the book the five dysfunctions of a team the book talked about conflict and how if used correctly it can be very productive in a world where everything we say has the potential to in quotes offend someone how can we politely and professionally have conflict without burning bridges one thing you can do is um, depersonalize the the conflict separate the the person um, and the emotion from what we're talking about what the conflict is so it's not about the person it's about the decision it's about the topic um, focus not on the position and so i'm going to bring in a little bit of what we study in sales and negotiations separate the um the position from the interest and what i mean by that is somebody saying something like i want it this way that's a position the why do they want it that way is the interest so do they want it that way because you know is it is it something that's personal to them is it because it impacts their team it you know what is the underlying interest from that so separating the the position from the interest separating the people from the emotion and the decision i think those are our, all ways that we can have that conversation i think we are less likely to uh, we get a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt when we have trust and we've built that layer to get to the conflict so again um some random person that you you know that you're communicating with online they may feel more offended because you haven't built that um that level of trust or confidence with them you don't have that vulnerability but if we spend the time building that within a team dynamic it's oh you know it opens up the door they may still you know and then we also have to just you know acknowledge that we may have our own perceptions of how somebody may feel and we may not that may not actually be accurate so i may feel like i tell a student some feedback or something like that and i'm concerned that they're going to feel offended and so then i don't necessarily give them the feedback because it's not about them and how they're um my it's about me and my fear of how they may react and respond but in if i'm really i'm really doing them a disservice if you think about it i'm i'm not giving them helpful information to to do that so I think also just building awareness and, um, you know, framing things and that in a way where uh, I think Angela, it was Angela Duckworth that talked about um, talking about, hey, I care about you. I'm here to help you. I want us to get better. I want you to get better. You know, prefacing with where you're coming from is key. Um, and then in terms of not being offended, we have to remember that feedback is just somebody's lens perception. Um, their their words to what they think believe um maybe good intention maybe malintention and it's on us to decide what we want to use with that data information data and information i i really like uh in our reading uh the thanks for the feedback they talk about there are you know affirmative affirmation we tell somebody that they're doing a good job that's a form of feedback there's coaching we instruct them how to 
fix things or or do things differently in a way that will get better results. And there's a valuation. Here's how how well or how you know how well or how you didn't do something well. And we're evaluating some sort of performance. So one is about you know uh, corrections, instructing. Uh, that's the coaching. One is about evaluation on the performance and one is about um, affirming. So I think kind of understanding what's the what's the optimal uh, way or the optimal type of feedback that we need to be giving as well. Um, our next category is on the concept of vulnerability. And we've got a couple of questions here. The question is, at what point did we begin to perceive vulnerability in a negative fashion and how can we teach children how to be vulnerable in a healthy way? Oh man, this is a tough one. I think that for a long, I think it's actually the other way around. I would reframe that and say that um, we oftentimes felt that to be a leader, to be a strong person, you couldn't be vulnerable. You know, it was seen as a weakness. And as the research, you know, and, and researchers and, and uh, thought leaders like Brene Brown are coming forward and others, proving that we get results when we show vulnerability and we look at systems where vulnerability compared to invulnerability um, gain, get really different dynamics and really different results. So I think it's more of an awakening of the importance of vulnerability and the impact of vulnerability and from developing it and teaching it in the children, that's really important. So um, as we're, we're learning about the positive impact of, of being vulnerable, you know, as a parent of a two-year-old, I, I realized that there's a lot of what we call neuroplasticity going on in my, in my little guy and, and my toddler. And I, I think about this often as, is a, um, as a parent and a lot of it is modeling. And so it's recognizing the ways that you are, are, are being vulnerable or invulnerable it's um, thinking about um, looking at the literature and, and finding ways and, and consuming content on ways that we can do that with, with our kids to give them space to be vulnerable. You know, one of the things that I'm working on right now as a parent is like when my, my kid reacts, you know, can't watch Paw Patrol right now. So he throws a fit and, um, <laughs> and instead of saying, Raymond, don't, don't do that, you know, because the fit is something that I don't, you know, I don't like the reaction. I'm saying, I'm changing that and say, Raymond, I, I, I can tell that you're upset by not being able to watch Paw Patrol right now. And that's, that's okay to be upset. Um, you know, you can work through this and, um, you know, and acknowledge the emotion, call it out, let, let them do that. And so I think just getting more repetitions in that and becoming more aware of the tools, finding out more about myself and, and the areas where, you know, I haven't been in, uh, as vulnerable or in um, the ways that I can change and model behavior. I think modeling for kids is probably the, a really good one and then um, practicing it with them will help. All right, the next one on that is uh, another burning question I'd have is if people were so concerned about first times, why would they start something at all? Okay, so let's break that one down. Uh, what is it that really causes someone to feel so vulnerable? Is it because of the fear of failure, being made fun of, being criticized and, um, by an expert or peers? How can you overcome these fears? You know, one of my favorite sayings is danger is real, 
fear is a choice. So, you know, at its roots, we have fight, we have flight, and we have paralysis. And so that is programmed into us, you know, when um, big, scary animals were, were chasing us, you know, we were activated. Fight, flight, or freeze. And then as we've progressed as a society and, and whatnot, we've found new things, you know, um, that triggered those fears. Um, we it's how we perceive those. Do we perceive that as real danger? And then what does our body do with that? So the vulnerability part is more around um, becoming a developing a level of, of self-awareness. And the first time the, I think what it is, is let's, let's go back to trust is could be that we're, we're not sure if we're going to be competent. And then again, if we've got, if we've been drilled into us and conditioned over time to, to not want that condition, you know, to not be in a condition where our competence is being questioned, where our capabilities are questioned, and we don't have the esteem, our worthiness is tied to that. That's going to create some significant challenges about wanting to be vulnerable. So we don't want to expose that we armor up. And, um, and it's, I think you're right. It's all of this. It's fear of failure. Okay. Well, what happens if I, if I fail, you know? Um, and then we start playing this movie in our head, sometimes called self-talk. And, um, we're going to have a feeling of embarrassment being made fun of. We're going to be criticized and feel less than we're going to, um, you know, we're going to be mocked and um, not be part of the social group or, or the dynamic or we'll be outcast. So all of these almost like primal things are gonna come into play. How can, we, how can we overcome these? We call them out, we acknowledge them, we, gain, we en enhance and increase our emotional intelligence, our self-awareness and our self-management. So we recognize that, is this danger real? What's the worst that could happen? Um, if this were to happen, how would I choose to react and respond to that? So we can start to play these things out and really kind of to figure out, okay, but what's the other side of this? You know, what would it look like or what could it look like if I said part of me feels this way? And giving people some benefit of the doubt on the the reality of that and the humanization of that. So I think those are all things that we can we can do. Now, why um, why would we even start something at all? Because we still have higher we have higher uh, level motivations, we have higher level goals. You know, um, why would somebody go to college? Well, because there is a system in place where you need some more education. You may want to get more education. You need that degree. And so the dissonance of not doing that is greater than the dissonance of the fear that comes along with that. So as a result, you, you are willing to step into the abyss um, and then and go through that experience but it doesn't reduce the fact that it brings fear anxiety and all those things with you all right our next category has a number of questions and it's about strengths or weaknesses and again in our session we talked about some of these so um we may fly by through some of them or we may uh, dive in or combine them a little bit and so one of them was something we talked about with if we focus on our strengths how will we make our weakness weaknesses stronger i don't again i don't think that's the 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 optimal strategy there i think one let's acknowledge that in certain contexts our strengths are weaknesses um and so being mindful of that being aware of that so really understanding the strength 
Um, how will we make our weaknesses, weaknesses stronger? It isn't necessarily about making them stronger. And I think that's the fallacy that we've, we've oftentimes been figuring out, like, here's our deficits. Well, then that's where, to our previous question, we could be made fun of. We could have fear of failure. We could be criticized and whatnot. What we need to acknowledge is let's not lean into those so much. Let's lean into the idea of um, good enough. What does good enough look like? What does it look like so that it doesn't inhibit my success? So I think that's probably the framing I would encourage and coach on um, re recognizing that, um, recognizing that that might be the better approach and then focus more of your energy on strengths. All right. So based on the strengths that we all have uh, through the five themes, um, what strengths go well together? What strengths are polar opposites? I don't think they work in, in in uh construct like that i think you've got to look at each of them is as individual um lanes it's not that one's better or worse than the other i think it's a combination of what gallup found was there's 34 different kind of archetypes for different strengths and they fall into the um the four themes and so it's not one's better or worse than the other. We, we really need to be mindful. And I, I saw a lot of this in the questions is trying to get into these kind of binary, yes, no, black, white, um, good, bad, strong, weak. And, and instead, maybe we even live, eliminate the word weakness out of these and stop with the chronological ordering of it and say more along the lines of this is my special sauce. These are the ingredients that make me great where would this sauce, these ingredients, make the meal taste even better? So, and, and apply it to that. And so, um, so I'm not dodging that question at all, but I, I want to maybe reframe it and ask it in a different way of saying, how can I put these different ingredients together to make the best recipe possible? How do we know, next question would be, how do we know uh, strengths pair well together in a team? Um, that's a good question in terms of, I think, again, we talked about this a little bit, is you have to look at what the project is, look at the dynamics of the teams, remembering that the strengths are not necessarily personality driven or behavior driven, they are strengths driven. And understanding that you've got some maybe innate talent around that, and depending on the amount of practice, skill, knowledge, development work you put in there, that's going to cultivate strength. So, um, and, these, and, and what Gallup is telling us is that if we were to invest in these areas, um, we could get stronger than the people than people that don't have those as strengths. Um, and so pairing those together, it's going to depend on what's the task, what's the team, what's the duration. So I think looking at all of those and kind of taking a step back and um, analyzing the situation and, and deciding what's necessary to get the results um, are, are one component of that. There are other dynamics that we need to put into play. Um, and, and I don't know if it's so much about, again, offsetting another person's weaknesses. I think it's more so of what does the task require? What is the goal? What do we need? would a person with this strength add value? So thinking about that as well as what does value add look like? I don't know if there is a method or a formula that um, that is left up for an individual leader to make uh, or a personal call on it. 
is there, um, I think what it is, is learning more about this, you know, um, and adding it as a, as, as part of a, a dynamic or part of a, um, uh, an awareness on how this could help you get better results. I think that would be kind of the, the framing of that. Now, again, results are, are an end game. Also, we want to be thinking about what's, um, you know, what does that interaction look like? You know, what is, are we going to enjoy the process of the journey of getting to the end result too? So don't, don't lose sight of that as well. Is it possible to use people's weaknesses also in a productive manner that all, uh, that overall helps everyone like we do with our strengths? So I'm going to reframe that question. Um, if we repositioned a person that's currently in a role or doing something that they're not as strong at, could we look at this from a perspective of they have a strength in another area and can we reposition them so that they can be better? So rather than coming at it of a place of deficit, let's come at it of a place of strength. So reframing that is, is it possible if we have a person that is in an area where they're not their strongest in, and it's in, it's not being as productive, can we put that person in a role or a position that would play to their strengths? I think as a leader, that's going to get you better results. Do people's strengths constantly change or do we reach a point when they stay consistent um, they are just talents or things we are best at forever. I think there's a level of atrophy. If we look at the, you know, how Gallup uh, puts this, is there some innate ability or some innate talent around something um, to become a strength? We become aware of it. We practice it. We gain skill. We grow in it. Um, now, when you, you know, let's say you become in the 98th, 99th percentile of something, you've got very little um, not necessarily growth, but but the impact of that growth, you're, it's not going to be as visible. But in some contexts, that can be make or break um, versus like, let's say, you know, you're on the course right now. You discover the strength. It's something that you didn't have a ton of awareness on. You you start to saying that I want to um, I want to grow in this area. So you start practicing it. You start learning more about it. You start um, deploying it. And all of a sudden you get more and more results that that initial wave of impact. If you're at, you know, I'm arbitrarily saying a number at 50 percent and you jump up to 60 percent. Well, 10 percent better is a lot better than 0.001. But if you were already at the top of the game, that's going to be something uh, completely different. So, you know, I want you to think about it from maybe that perspective a little bit. Um, and it's not it's not a fixed trait, per se. So I think if you were to, you know, move away from that or other things were to come into play and you weren't leveraging that strength, I don't think it goes away. But I don't think that you necessarily are um, building it at that point. Um, so maybe a little bit of the bicycle effect of you know, you're not going to learn how to you're not going to forget how to ride a bike. But, you know, you, you may not be world class mountain biker or you may not be in the shape that you need to to really flex it to its full potential at that point. All right, next question on strengths. We've been learning about how to build teams using strengths. My uh, bright idea, burning question moment came when thinking about the book we've been reading, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and the question suddenly came to me, 
So which should it be? Identifying our, our strengths or figuring out what our dysfunctions are in order to correct them. So I wanna uh, take a moment here to separate the two, totally two different constructs. One is Gallup's strengths work. That's more of at the individual level. Dysfunctions of a team are dysfunctions within a group or a system or a process. So they are not um, either or. It's, 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 it's NAND both, actually. Um, so we should be doing both. We should be, you know, it's walk and chew gum. We can identify our strengths and we can figure out our, where are the dysfunctions in our team and how can we work on them? Why is it important for us to do that hard work? So let's take a look. If the dysfunction is we can't have conflict because we don't have trust, that is a dysfunction of a team that we can work towards. Why is it important? Well, we know if we have, if we have trust, we can get to that level of healthy debate, which can get us the ability to communicate, to get commitment, to get uh, accountability, to get results. Now, are there people in the team that have a strength, maybe in that relationship or that influencing category, that can help us build that dynamic? And how can we leverage those folks' strength to help our collective team in addressing that perspective, uh, that per, um, that that uh, perspective or that dysfunction? All right. Do people's strengths, con um, oh, sorry, is it better or worse to team up with people who that have the same strengths as you will help you strengths uh, grow or stop growth uh, hap happening as someone you may agree with uh, you a little too often? So let's let's again disassociate a couple things here. One is, is it better or worse? It, in some contexts, it can be better. In some contexts, it can be worse. So let's think about a context where it could be better. The context where it could be better is where the, um, let's say you have a mentor. Let's say you have somebody who has the same strength as you and they've been doing it a lot longer. They've cultivated more and you are coming under their wing trying to cultivate the same strength. That is something where you can learn from their experience and they can help you grow. So that could be a really good situation where um, having the same strength can really help you. Where it could create some blind spots is perhaps in a situation where you're all relying on that strength to get something done. But if you had the diversity of other strengths in your team or your group or your situation, then that may, be, uh, may help play an even bigger role to get better results. So it's it kind of there's a contextual ele element to this. And I know having that subjectivity is hard, but uh, taking a step back and looking at it and reflecting and developing that, again, that emotional intelligence will really help us. Um, so I don't know if it stops growth from happening. I think it could just um, limit opportunities or potentials to gain other perspectives um, and experience along the way. Question is, uh, we did the Gallup's test where it shows our signature strength. However, are we going to do a test that tells us our weakness? No, we won't do a test that tells us our weakness. I Again, I mentioned before that I don't even know if there's an instrument that does that. I think we can reflect on where our weaknesses is, are, and I think we can actually take a look at the, the dark side of our strength or look at it from a, an angle of thinking about when is my strength um, not a strength 
and going it from it that way. All right, a category where we had just one question, but I think it's a great one, is uh, in decision-making. What are the best ways to overcome indecisiveness when pursuing a new uh, business venture? So what I would be thinking about there is uh, decision criteria. So what are we looking at to decide on? How and then prioritizing or putting some sort of weight or, or how important it is to us um, and, and evaluating it from, from that standpoint. Um, and why are we being indecisive over that? You know, so acknowledging what is our triggering the indecision, the indecision. So having a process, having a framework, uh, coming up with those criteria, a way to evaluate them objectively or and or subjectively. Um, and then, you know, what would be the trigger to that you want to be able to pull to make the decision and um, and going from there. And we'll, we'll we can cover some more content throughout the quarter on that. All right. Um, the category I'm going to call this last set is control. And the question is, my burning question is regarding uh, the podcast. How much of your life do you con- do you actually control? In the podcast, it talks about how we can control the way our life goes, either through skill or chance. <clears throat> how do we? Uh, how does this arg- uh, argument work with people who believe in fate? Does everything happen for a reason, or do we have a way to control that? So let's let's rewind and maybe uh, come at that episode from a little bit of a different angle. Um, I think what what Duckworth and Dubner are talking about in there is in what we would call the locus of control. So think of it as like a scale or a spectrum of um, of how much. Again, we want to avoid the binary of skill or chance. How much skill? How much chance? isn't that so not either or but and both and um and then we call that locus of control which is somebody's belief in um in how much does fate play a role some people have a strong locus of control and others have um an external or internal locus of control where it's i believe everything happens because i'm i made it happen um or everything is happening because it it is that fate is that destiny and whatnot so does everything happen for a reason or do we, do we have a way to control that? Um, you're asking a very existential question that I don't have a, have an answer for. Um, I think we put a belief around that and I think that helps us work our way through things. Um, I think we can acknowledge that events happen, things happen. Um, I think what we're really trying to understand, not what we're really trying to understand, but one of the things that can help us move through events is how do we, because it gives us a sense of control in, in oftentimes in some uncertain circumstances, how do we choose to react and respond to the events? And that in itself gives us a level of control. Now we could go down a, a, a rabbit hole of well, do we are we making that choice or not making that choice? And I, I would save that to, for my colleagues in philosophy on that. What I would acknowledge as a leader is that um, you know we're going to make we we have the opportunity to acknowledge the event, see what's going you know see what we can control in the situation, how we want to react and respond, and go towards that. My burning question would be, how would you handle 
employees that do not take accountability for of their actions lightly? Is there a good approach to this and which way is better than others? Um, I would, I would lean a little bit into some of the work that, um, that we're reading about in the Blinkist on, um, thanks for the feedback and radical candor. I think that one, if we have a level of trust with, with folks, then it gives us a little bit more permission to engage in the conflict. Um, and the conflict would be around the, the tough conversation around our perception or the actuality of someone's, uh, ability or inability to, to take accountability. And then, so, you know, how somebody again reacts and responds to that isn't necessarily in our control fully. Um, we can try to frame it and shape it in a way where we're coming at it with compassion, with empathy, um, with results and, and expressing our intent and what the, you know, and what the impact of their behaviors are to us. Um, hopefully that will gain, give them a level of awareness and, and whatnot. Now, if this was a continued pattern of, of an accountability, then I think, you look at is accountability part of your culture? Do you hold everybody else accountable? Um, you know, how you do anything ends up kind of how you be, how you do everything. And it also sets the tone on, you know, any behavior that is ex uh, allowed to exist becomes acceptable behavior within your, your organizational culture. And so what does your organization, what do the people that you work with, what do you as a leader really want, need to advance the mission, the goals, the, the vision, the just cause, all of those things. So I think in terms of handling it, it's, it's separating again, the person from the accountability is you are not, you know, the, the person is not taking an accountability. That's the behavior. It's not Johnny or Susie is a good or bad person. It's that this accountability from your perception isn't happening. One, I think we need to stay open to the why, why is that there may be some more context. So listening, in addition to giving the feedback, giving an opportunity to try to work through it or work towards it, and if the behavior continues, then it's a go or grow situation, meaning either we need to, um, you know, remove that employee um, from that that opportunity or we need to grow them and help them get better. And I think the determinant is that is, is the level of effort that you're seeing from, from the person comes back to capability and confidence and competence. And can we coach around one of those things? Now, the last burning question we have for this first episode is my burning question sparks my curiosity from the course about leadership. And I'm wondering, will we be able to properly understand every aspect of how a leader should lead, not just from reading, but also through demonstrations and being able to grow from our weakest link. There's a lot tied up in that. Um, I think it's a great question. I think that, um, I would not look at this course or any course on leadership about as, one that's a finite game that you spend eight, 10, 12 weeks with me, um, that it's going to uh, give you every secret because I'm still learning um, about leadership and I've been studying it and, and trying to practice it and apply it for decades now. Um, so it's an infinite journey. It's not, it's not going to be there. Um, the reason you're doing the reading and the listening is because Every one of you is on a separate journey. I can't just tell you that, you know, Johnny, you need to go to this, Susie, you go do that. And you're just going to automatically become a, a leader. There's not a one size fits all element. There are kind of these constructs in the areas where 
are malleable and people have an opportunity to, to decide if they want to invest in those areas of their leadership. So you have to figure out what you need to do for your leadership. You are already demonstrating it by starting to do some of the leadership and action work. Um, you are already building awareness. The reading and, and podcast are, are so important. Your light bulb moments are your opportunity to demonstrate. Um, I'm not sure if there's a way for me to get up and just show you what leadership is. You are going to start to make some inferences um, about me as a professor, about our program and whatnot by how the faculty and um, our program manager and, and our team, how we act, how we behave. And so I, I, will we do it perfectly? No. Are we growing? Are we changing? Are we evolving? Yes. Um, and, and so again, the leadership is going to be a journey. Um, I don't know how you should lead. I, I can't tell you that. That's, this is part of your journey. Um, the reading is designed to help you with some of the research, empirical evidence, um, what what does work, what has found been found to work, and how you deploy it in those individual circumstances are going to be kind of the elements of that. Um, you will have some opportunities throughout this program to build, demonstrate, learn, fail, succeed, um, and that that my friends will be um, be the opportunity for for you to get that. Uh, again, I, I want to pull away from the idea of our weakest link and move more towards um, we never lose. Um, we either learn or we win. And um, when we do fail, when we do have a setback, we're going to learn from it. And that's part of the journey too. And I want you to feel safe. I want you to know that there's no shame. There's no blame. There's no judgment that that is part of the learning experience and it's okay. Um, along the way, you know, you'll get some affirmation, you'll get some coaching, you'll get some evaluation, but again, it's either we win um, or we learn. And that's the way we'll, we'll kind of tackle that. If there is more to any of these questions or it's wrapped up in something deeper um, and, and you just didn't know how to talk to me about it, reach out via Canvas message. Uh, I'm always available to talk with you. I'll do my best. If something's not going to your liking or your desire, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out together. So that's our first episode for Biz 300. And uh, we're leading the way with from our gems, light bulbs, and burning questions. You'll be seeing some scores pop up in your um, in your canvas. Maybe some, some comments in the discussion section. But everybody can use this um, episode as a way of having all of those burning questions answered uh, by me, Prof B. I appreciate y'all. Um, and I will, we'll be back with our next round of these. Take care.